Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Thank you all for coming out, and I guess I can call it the annual meet and greet uh, for Emerging Voices. And this is set out to just inform all the applicants of from the small to the large issues that come up when you're looking at applications. I know that there are a few people in this room that have come to this event teetering on the edge of wondering if they should apply, and this sort of sent them over. So that was great. Um, my name is Libby Flores. I'm the program manager of Emerging Voices and Penn Workshops. Um, um, I was also chosen as one of the uh, emerging voices in 2008, and my co-host tonight is Lillian <laughs> Rivera. She's the, there we go, give it up. She's the program coordinator for Emerging Voices and Penn Workshops, and she's also a 2013 Emerging Voices Fellow. Um, like I said, we're going to inform you. Uh, first, we're going to start out with some readings of some personal essays about the experiences uh, in Emerging Voices. Then I'm going to do a short over overview of the program, and then we're going to get to your questions. So lots to look forward to. For those who don't know, Penn Center USA is a literary arts nonprofit that's based in Los Angeles. And Penn's mission is to stimulate and maintain interest in the written word, to foster a vital literary culture, and to defend freedom of expression domestically and internationally. How many of you guys are Penn members in this room? Love it. Okay, great. Um, if you uh, love events around Los Angeles, if, you, if you're literary in any kind of way, and if you believe in those three things I just listed, I encourage you to become a member of Penn, and we can certainly come up to me after the reading today and we can talk about that. But the reason you're here today is for Emerging Voices. And Emerging Voices is a literary fellowship that aims to provide new writers who lack access with the tools they need to launch a professional writing career. And I'm proud to say that Emerging Voices is the only fellowship of its kind in the United States. We can all get excited about that. Okay. Now, in its 19th year, 119 individuals have completed the fellowship, and the Emerging Voices alumni have published over 30 books and have received hundreds of anthology inclusions, awards, honors, and fellowships. Over the course of the year, and it's actually eight months, and if you have one of these cards, we have like a cheat sheet to what one gets through the fellowship, so you can grab one of these. We call them apply cards. Um, you receive a professional mentorship, free classes at UCLA Extension writers program, Q&A evenings with professional writers, publishers, editors, and agents. We call these evenings author evenings. Uh, master class with a published pen author, a volunteer project, a public speaking class that prepares the fellows for their three public readings, and the fellowship provides a $1,000 stipend. So you can 
put your, we put our money where our mouth is. Um, the fellowship culminates with a public reading and reception at the Hammer Museum. I'm going to encourage all of you, especially those that are applying, come out to the Hammer Museum on July 30th. This gives you a great taste of what we've chosen. Uh, these writers are actually in the front row here. Actually, Victor is one of the 2014 Emerging Voices Fellows. And this gives you a good idea of sort of the selection and the wide range of uh, work that we are interested in. You need not be published to apply to the fellowship, but we are interested in poets and writers of fiction, creative nonfiction, with clear ideas of what they hope to accomplish with their writing. And we'll get into this a little bit later. But for now, I'll turn it over to Lillian. So as Libby mentioned, we're here today to inform new and possible applicants uh, for the Emerging Voices Fellowship. If you follow the Mark blog that's on PennUSA.org, you know we've been publishing essays on, by Emerging Voices alumni and current fellows. And these short personal essays are first-hand accounts um, attesting to the value of the eight-month literary fellowship. We're going to begin tonight by having Amanda Fletcher, Jamie Schaefer, Natasha Dion, and Victor Vasquez read their essays, followed by Samantha Dunn speaking on mentorship and author evenings. Then we'll go over the components of the Emerging Voices Fellowship and then get to your questions. Um, our first reader tonight is Amanda Fletcher. Um, Amanda Fletcher, a 2012 Emerging Voices Fellow. Amanda Fletcher is a fitness consultant who has resided in Los Angeles for 10 years. A flash fiction uh, finalist for the Orlando Prize and a performer for the Dirty Laundry Lit and Rorschach reading, reading series, her writing has appeared in the Writer's Tribe Review and the Orange County Register. Amanda is currently working on her memoir about breaking her neck in a diving accident and the cervical halo she wore for four months tentatively titled, Halo, the Crowning of a Marginal Life. Yeah. Amanda? Yes. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm going to drink a little water first. Dave Thomas taught us this. <laughs> that vocal class was awesome. <laughs> Pipe dream is a noun. A hope, wish, or dream that is impossible to achieve or not practical. Canadian labor union men raised me. Crane operators and guys who worked the line at the GM plant on Ontario Street. Solid men who made their livings with dirty hands. When my dad said writing is a hobby, not a career, I was 14. I didn't trust myself enough to know better. I bought into the belief that being a writer was both an impractical and impossible aspiration because my dad said so and I was afraid to try. I stopped writing. I thought I would be a physical therapist, manipulating bodies with my hands. That difference between what I wanted and what I was doing kept me floundering in college for an extra semester. And then in the fall of that last term, my mother took her own life. Suddenly everything was possible and also pointless. I fought an internal battle. Why bother at war with why not? My journey to Los Angeles was born out of the garage where they found my mother's body. I had stories to tell. Now the question became how to take this ethereal thing, this dream of being a writer, and give it a physical body, limbs, a torso. I signed up for a class at UCLA and then another. I found myself writing again. I took my workshop pages marked with edits and placed them ceremonially in a drawer. It was like I had conjured those first drafts into being and the idea of edit editing them was like making magic ordinary. The revision process paralyzed me. 
I found every word too precious to change. I convinced myself I couldn't do it, that I had not gone to the right schools or read the right books. But the only way my skin fit was in the context of a paragraph, or the way a sentence looked on the page, how it felt in my mouth. Giving up was not an option, so I applied for the Emerging Voices Fellowship. The EV program gave me the bones, the skeleton that carries a writer's life. My mentor, Jillian Lauren, forced my ass in the chair. She taught me how to work with the pages, change them, discard them if necessary, to go back again and again in order to arrive at a finished piece while still retaining the magic of what it was that I was so desperate to say. At the program's end, I had a body of work that I could take out into the world and I had a firm grasp on the process from inception to submission. I learned how to be a writer. I learned that I have to get up every day, just like all of those union guys who raised me, and I have to go to work. And yes, it is more difficult and more different than my dad could have known it would be, but it no longer seems impossible. Thank you. Thanks, Amanda. And our next reader is Jamie Schaefer. Jamie um, Schaffner, I'm saying your name wrong. And I, no, it's not right. <laughs> it's Jamie Schaffner. Jamie Schaffner was born in Los Angeles, raised in Portland, Oregon, and has a Bachelor of Arts in Economics from University of California, Santa Barbara. She's a 2011 Penn Center USA Emerging Voices Fellow, a UCLA James Kirkwood Award finalist, and her work appears in the anthology Best Lesbian Romance. She's a member of the reading series Dirty Laundry Lit and is completing her debut novel, Get the Girl. Jamie lives in Los Angeles with her wife and their cats, Lucy, Ethel, and, Bu and Buffy. <laughs> Jamie. Where's Dave? Oh, yeah. And this, he taught us to do this, too. <clears throat> From the application to the final reading, the EV program wasn't easy. As a perfectionist with floundering confidence, I did what I always do with the unknown and difficult. Gave it everything I had. This, I reasoned, was the only way I wouldn't get distraught and lost, and in short, be stranded proverbially naked in front of esteemed authors, other fellows, my mentor, and the Penn USA staff. Every week I read every sentence and every book selected for the author evenings and prepared questions so on Mondays I'd be articulate. At the pen office sitting elbow to elbow with other EVs at the table chock full of salamis, cheeses, and crackers, we engaged with remarkable authors. I was not articulate. <laughs> Before our vocal coaching, I read my excerpt out loud incessantly and set a stopwatch to ensure I wouldn't exceed five minutes. I exceeded five minutes. <laughs> the master classes, we were told, would be run like the Iowa workshop, meaning don't speak, don't explain, instead just listen to the critiques. Say it with me, I spoke, I explained. <laughs> I was distraught, I was lost, I was naked. Still, I soaked up the array of writing knowledge, tools, and inspiration. During our evening with Bernard Cooper, he asked about hurdles we had with our work. From our brief responses, he offered dead-on advice. Sometimes you just trip on your end. You're writing and you realize, that's it, Cooper said to me. Afterward, I stopped chasing my novel's ending. Months later, after writing a scene among the endless scenes in Get the Girl, I reread what I'd written and it hit me. 
That was the end. Another evening, Janet Fitch inscribed my copy of Painted Black with a nod to a symbol I'd used in my own work. Encouraged, I watched for other symbols that might appear in my novel, which I could deepen. I watched, um, when I felt claustrophobic writing in the first person, I took Dinah Lenny's suggestion and switched to second. I gained distance, as she said I would, and was able to see what the scene was about, then returned to first person. During the hammer reading, I did what Dave Thomas, our vocal coach, said to do. Nothing. Leave a gap, a silence, at the end of a crucial moment. I stopped reading, gripped the podium, unnerved, and counted to three. The audience grew quiet, waiting on my next word, as Thomas said they would. For eight months, I read a book a week, attended an EV workshop or an event at least two times a week, wrote new pages, edited existing scenes, commented on colleagues' work writing. All the while, certain the day would come when I wouldn't get nervous during an author evening. Or before our next public reading, I wouldn't have to recite my piece out loud while lying curled in the fetal position until leaving for the venue. <laughs> or when the thick manila envelope with my mentor's comments arrived, I wouldn't put off opening it. That day never came. It's been three years since I was in Evie, and still, I'm distraught. I'm lost. I'm naked. I'm writing. <laughs> Thank you, Jamie. Our next reader is Natasha. Ooh, sorry about that. What should I do? Step away. Thank you. Okay, let's take two. Natasha Dion is a Los Angeles attorney, writer, and creator of the reading series Dirty Laundry Lit. Recently named one of LA's most fascinating people in LA Weekly's 2013. <laughs> okay, 2013. Um, sorry, hold on. As I find my spot. Okay, 2013 People Issue. She's been awarded fellowships and residencies at Yale Breadloaf's Writers Conference, Prague Creative Writing Program in the Czech Republic, and the Virginia Center for Creative Arts. A 2010 Penn Center USA Emerging Voices Fellow, her writing has appeared in The Rattling Wall, Body, The Rumpus, The Feminist Wire, Asian American Lit Review, You, an anthology of second person essays, and other places. Dion has an MFA in Creative Writing from the University of California, Riverside, Palm Desert, and has taught creative writing at Gettysburg College for the, uh, for the University of California, Penn Center USA, 826LA, and inner city high schools around Los Angeles. She loves pastor tacos and pretty much anything with sirachi on it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Natasha. <laughs> hey. <laughs> 20th century literary icon Ernest Hemingway once elegantly said, the first draft of anything is shit. <laughs> and I had completed several chapters of my novel when I took my first class at UCLA Extension and I soon found out that what Her Ernest Hemingway said was true. Those chapters were shit. In that first writing class, my writing professor asked her hopeful students, she said, what do you expect to do with your novel? Do, I thought. Is there anything to want to do but publish it for the world to see? This is no diary entry, lady. <laughs> she said, most of you want to publish, but what does that mean for you? Does it mean you want to publish no matter what, like self-publish? 
In other words, you will be the only one paying for your work to get out there, or your parents, or your spouse, or your partner. Or do you want the borrowed strength and support of a corporation or individuals who love words as much as you do, or an organization, their editors, your agent, and trust them to carry your art through traditional publishing? And does it matter the size of the publisher that publishes you? A small press, a big press? Do you want awards and recognition? And most importantly, do you want to sell books? Or do you want people to read your books? Those are two different questions, she said. I had no clue what she meant by all this. I may have answered, I want all of that. <laughs> the point she was making is that there are many paths to publication. Paths that depend on your desires, your efforts, and your resources. Paths I wasn't aware of when I started this journey to become a professional writer as an Emerging Voices Fellow. And it is this journey that distinguishes you from being a writer of emails like everyone you know and everybody who has an idea for a novel or a chat book if you're a poet, to being a published writer who other people believe in enough to invest valuable resources, their resources. As a Penny V, you are put on a unique path one of directed focus and access, access to writers like Samantha here, and individuals who may not normally respond to you at, at all. I mean, try to email Samantha. Maybe she'll be nice and like talk to <laughs> But it gives you access. And this program is a springboard to a professional writing career. And Penn is investing in you. This EV experience represents what publishing is. Other people investing their time, their money, their staff, their goodwill to put your words in their pages, on their stage, in a journal, online, wherever. And in return, you put in the work. And by work, I don't mean only the writing or getting up, getting dressed to go to your own events. Be involved in the community. Ask yourself, am I going to events only that I'm in? Or have I created a place to help other writers, written an article, started a journal? Or am I running a book club, volunteering at a local bookstore, 826LA, Write Girl, or other places? Or simply, have I encouraged another writer today? Or am I still hoarding that information about that contest that I kind of want to keep to myself? <laughs> and trust me, information is like seeds. If you hoard it, it's not going to grow anyway. Invest in others as they have or will or you want them to invest in you. We all have other things to do. The EV program is an investment in great writing and great future writers. Writers who have the capacity to be gracious and generous and community focused. And the EV program helps to package promising new writers like these into a desirable investment for other people, for publishers. It introduces you to resources, helps to spark valuable relationships, helps you to understand the literary community, and most importantly, it helps to reveal to you what the next steps on your literary journey might be. This is not the end. But that's just Penn's part. Once you get here, you will have to prove yourself with your words, on the page, and with your voice. You will have to read, aloud, at readings. <laughs> the Emerging Voices program quite literally puts new writers in front of hundreds of industry professionals and professional writers to do just that. There are major readings, including the final reading at the Hammer that Libby was talking about that you guys should all go to, and smaller ones. And by smaller, I mean more than 100 people. 
And if you've been to a reading that's not for a celebrity book launch, you will know that consistently having over a dozen people at your reading is a dream. <laughs> so how does the Emerging Voices program help, to help you to prove yourself on a reading stage? And I have to talk about Dave for this. I was at Home Depot this, just this Friday shopping for paint with my family at Home Depot and a commercial played on the overhead speaker. It said, more saving, more doing, that's the power of the Home Depot. <laughs> and I immediately gave out a little whoop whoop because I knew that voice. That's Dave Thomas. <laughs> He's the Emerging Voices voice coach. And Dave has lent his voice to a plethora of powerhouses like Gatorade, the NFL, Fox, and other places. But most importantly, to Penn Center USA for the Emerging Voices Fellowship. And not just to Penn, but to other community-based projects here in LA, including my reading series, Dirty Laundry Lit. Dave Thomas represents what all artists should aspire to do, and that's to be impactful artists and to give back. As an Emerging Voices Fellow, you have access to Dave for eight months, and that's plain awesome. Your voice is your selling tool. It's your commercial, and it will sell your books and sell you as an artist. You are your own product, your own Home Depot. The first time I worked with Dave on my own, I had been working on a piece, a particular difficult piece, a particularly difficult piece because it included a sex scene. I had written it, yes, but reading it was another story. I was shy and nervous, but I knew that this particular piece was right for the event that I was invited to read, where I was invited to read. And I also knew that it was pointless to fake good sex. And Dave made it simple. He said, own it. Read it in a voice you heard when you wrote it. You're not an actress, but you know the voice you heard. Using these tips and others and what I had learned as an EV, I went over the piece and over it till the day came and I felt confident enough to go there. I still get requests to read that piece. <laughs> the point is, if you're going to be remembered, be remembered for your good sex. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> be remembered for your voice and your story. Your voice is your power on stage in your, pa in your pages. The Emerging Voices program ensures that you won't neglect it. Good luck. Thank you, Natasha. And our next reader is Victor Vasquez. Uh, Victor Vasquez is a Southern California native, born in Compton. He received two bachelor's degrees in English and drama from the University of California, Irvine. He's a 2014 Emerging Voices Fellow, a playwright in Los Angeles, works as a community organizer in the artistic department at the Pasadena Playhouse, and was recently selected to participate in Lambda's Literary Writers Retreat for Emerging LGBT Voices. He is writing a book of poems titled Men. Here's Victor. Hi, everyone. Ooh, this is really bad having a laptop up here, but I couldn't get my stuff printed this morning. Um, so apologies. Why do we need validation? I can tell you my answer, but by the end of this, I will ask you for yours. My parents have worked their hands off. My father, an immigrant, scratched vinyls on a DJ table with the name Zignis tagged across wood in white marker. Zignis, it means the sounds of the universe. He was a mechanic, then a business owner. My mother, also an immigrant, sold clothes in a swap meet, had five kids, stayed home, 
cleaned, cooked, and taught us how to be good people. Down the line, parents of parents and grandparents, we all began working at young ages. Why then would I quit working with my hands to turn to the page and write? Better yet, how can I? I learned English after I took my native Spanish. I took in my native, native Spanish, went to school, took a big job, and felt lost. I'd sit, sometimes alone, during lunch, and feel the trailings of ancestors around me waiting for me to be a little bit more brave. I am brave, I thought. I went to college, I took the big job, and I'm thinking of professional development like everyone else. <laughs> You know, but I was playing the wrong game. I used to have this childlike vision of myself, this uh, elusive, grand, magical dream, where I'd build a tall ladder and I'd climb towards the sky to pick one star. I was filled with fear when I realized that that star that I had in my eyes my whole life was one where I could call myself a writer. One night, I took a book off of the, the, the bookstore shelf, and I brought it home with me. It, um, it's The Poet's Market, a thousand listings to get your writing published. I learned how easily overwhelmed I was by the writing world. I did circle one listing, though. Penn Center, USA Emerging Voices. And I underlined the words mentorship, seminars, and kickstart your literary career. I left it circled for three years before I actually applied. And now I'm a fellow. <laughs> it's really strange to be up here right now. For the past six months, I've been building a ladder. One week, I'm meeting with my mentor, Douglas Kearney, who is seeing in my writing things I had never seen. He says, you do not know how to be in war, he says. You are gay, you are Latino, you grew up lower middle class, and yet there's so much hope here. <laughs> the fight is a thing in your writing you've accepted without question. Then I'm in the living room with Janet Fitch, as she says, I was rejected for 10 years, and then Oprah called. <laughs> then I'm at UCLA taking classes and writing with deadlines for 24 weeks. And now I'm on stage reading. So let me reposition my question. Where are we looking for validation? The word validate comes from the Latin root valio, which stands for I am strong, I am well, I am worth, and I can. Everything about it is a declaration. As I climb little by little, I understand that there is quite a voyage to be had to reach that star. But if I may extend the metaphor here, it is pen that allows you to go from a person at lunch, head cocked up towards the sky, dreaming, to actually taking steps towards that something you felt the need to possess, to own what you mean when you say, I am a writer. It's not elusive. It can be real. I've realized the work I get to do with my hands is actually through writing, amongst other things. And now I see how to be practical about it. And yet I can still hear the sounds of some universe saying, this is you being brave now. So why are you looking for validation? 
Whisper in your mind the answer. Go ahead, right now. Why? Where? I found it finally when I moved back home. I lived in my parents' garage for the first half of this fellowship. You know, I felt angsty, you know, like Hamlet felt when he had to come back home. <laughs> and let's overlook the tragic reason why he had to do that. But I thought beyond that angst, and I found that the writer has to be the fifth act of Hamlet. It's not the question of being or not being. It is accepting the demand to let be. So let yourself write. Apply. Thanks. Thank you, Victor. Um, after Libby speaks briefly about mentorship, Samantha Dunn will be speaking on her experience as a mentor for the fellowship. But first, her bio. Oh. <laughs> Samantha Dunn is the author of Failing Paris, a, f a finalist for the Penn West Fiction Award in 2000, and the memoirs Not by Accident, Reconstructing a Careless Life, a Book Sense 76 pick, and Faith in Carlos Gomez, a memoir of salsa, sex, and salvation. Samantha's work is anthologized in a number of places, including the short story anthology Women on the Edge, Writing from Los Angeles, which she co-edited co with writer Juliet um, Ortel. Other recent collections showcasing her works includes Dancing at the Shame Prom, Sharing the Stories That Kept Us Small, and Drinking Diaries, Women Serve Their Stories Straight Up. Samantha's essays have appeared in numerous national publica publications, including the Los Angeles Time, O, Oprah Magazine, Miss, and Shape. Samantha teaches in the UCLA Extension Writers Program and at the Idlewild Arts Center in California and was a longtime writer in residence at the New York State Summer Writers Institute. Now Libby will talk a little bit about mentor and then Samantha Dunn. Welcome Samantha. <laughs> <laughs> and can we get another round of applause for those wonderful yes. essays? Thank you. If you want to revisit those essays or, and many more like them, come up, visit the Penn USA, uh, Penn Center USA website, which our, our website is pennusa.org, uh, and hit the Mark blog, and that'll take you right stru straight through it, and you can read them again and many others. Um, so we're going to go through a few components. I'm going to start with mentorship. This is why we're talking to Sam today. Um, mentorship is one of the key components of the fellowship. Uh, you're matched with a published author at the beginning of the fellowship in January. You're going to meet with that mentor three to four times and maintain monthly contact with them. And during the course of the fellowship, you'll receive written feedback on your work and you'll get reading recommendations. You're essentially in a conversation with them for eight months with your work. Um, and I encourage written feedback. That definitely happens. Those in-person meetings are generally uh, trading work and having conversations about process and things like that. Uh, you're paired with this person, you don't get to pick them. I just want to put that out there. Um, and, and certainly Sam has mentored for the fellowship, so we wanted to have her here today to talk about what it means to be a mentor. And I just wanted to take a second, because I see a few mentors in the audience, and if you wouldn't mind raising your hands. I see Cecil, sorry, and I saw Lou Matthews. Okay, great. So if you have questions about mentorship, they're great uh, people to ask as well. So um, we're going to hand the mic over to Sam so she can talk a little bit about mentorship. I'm gonna okay. what, do you want me to come over there? No, I'll come to you. No? Well, I have no place to put my drink if I come. Uh, <laughs> Hi. 
taking my drink okay. away. <laughs> it's right over there. Uh, I have no prepared speech because Libby didn't tell me I needed one, but I'll, I'll just I'll just speak uh, about my experience uh, first as a writer. Um, I I think like all of you, desperately wanted to be a published author, desperately all my life. And I would look at these uh, books on the shelf, and I would see people uh, that I that I loved and admired. A lot of them were dead, but the ones that were alive that w were people like uh, Russell Banks, and and were people like uh, Michael Ondaatje, and Marilyn Robinson, and um, and I sometimes would pretend to be at a cocktail party with those people. I'll admit it. I just or, or Jay McInerney. I'd be like, hey, hi. So yes, the profluence of the narrative and the objective correlative. You know what I mean? I would uh, pretend, and um, I. Uh, but I didn't think I, I could be a writer because, uh, like my my girl Amanda here, I was uh, born in a, a working class family and. Writers, of course, were uh, men who went to boarding school in Connecticut, and so I could not be one of them. And um, and then uh, years ago, I, I think it was 1990, I was driving down the Ventura Freeway, true story, and uh, I was listening to NPR, and they had a an interview with a writer named Kate Braverman, and I'd never heard of her before, but she was talking about how. Um, Led Zeppelin and the Doors were just as authentic a literary reference as uh, as Whitman or uh, Melville, and I honestly swear to God had to pull over to the side of the road because I was so excited. This this was the kind of this was this was what I understood. This was the kind of narrative that I felt drawn to. This was what had given me um, the idea that I wanted to tell stories growing up with FM radio, you know, not only with books, but that, that music that was so vital to me. And here was somebody on NP-fucking-R, man, saying that was completely valid. And that was okay. Not only okay, but it was something to be embraced. And so I tracked that person down at UCLA Extension, and that began um, kind of a hellish mentorship, but that's that's another story. But but at any rate, I, I had my first experience at mentorship, and then I realized um, there was a world out there that I needed because what have artists been doing since the dawn of time, right? But apprenticing themselves to masters. So I went wherever I could go to throw myself at the feet of masters, and you can. That took some forms in various senses, but um, but mostly, but mostly I went to writing conferences, and I and I and I went to bookstores like this, and I went to readings, and I sought out mentors because there was no emerging voice program. There was the uh, Iowa Writers Workshop, which was the kind of godhead, it still kind of is, right? I mean, you know, Bennington's cool and everything, but you know, <laughs> but but Iowa, you know. Whoa. I, and I couldn't get there. I had, to, had, had a job. I, cu I couldn't get there. I had, to, I had to pay the bills. I was still this working class girl who needed to pay the bills. But anyway, I found my way and I found my, uh, I found my mentors and I found uh, myself uh, knowing Michael Ondaatje and, and Russell Banks and all of these people that I had, I had admired and sought out. But I had no consistent way to do that. I had to kind of patchwork it together. Then somehow, Libby, do you even remember how I got involved in this? I don't even. Yes. 
Well, I was asked, but I don't know who the hell asked me. But they said, Here, here's what we're doing. We're going to select these emerging writers who are committed to their craft, who maybe don't have any way in to the publishing industry. They're not, they don't you know, have anyone's uh, legacy to call on. They don't have um, anybody in a New York publishing house that's their uncle, you know. They, they're outside, but they're committed to the craft. Would you help out? Okay, so what do they get? What do they get? They get a mentor. They get a published author who has, it's not just kind of published in, you know, like the local fish wrap, okay? I'm, I'm talking major public published authors who are uh, engaged in the literary community. These people are going to hold you by the hand and say, hi, honey, let me buy you lunch. Tell me your problems. Let me buy you a drink. These are people you're going to have for eight months of your life, and actually for the rest of your life if you're smart. I, I will be honest. I've mentored a few people who, for some reason, have never called me back. I don't know why, what that's about. Hi, Scott, Steve, how are you? I'm glad you're here. I'm good. Um, but, but people you can call on for the rest of your life. And then every week, they're not exaggerating here, every week you're sitting down across the table with someone whose book you've read. You, you're, you're sitting down across the table from Mona fucking Simpson, okay? You know what I mean? Hector Tobar, who else? I mean, these are, ma these are major, major talents who are at your disposal having a glass of wine with you. And it's an intimate setting, and you can pick their brain for as long as, as long as Libby will pay for their parking. <laughs> you know, it's it's an amazing thing. And not only pe people flock. I'm not going to bag on MFA programs, although that's my my shtick. But they're great. All right, they serve their purpose. But 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 you know what? They pay. This program pays you to. Engage with the thing that you love most in the world, okay? So, I don't know what else I can say, just do it, all right? You probably won't get in the first time, all right? I'm just gonna say it. It's really tough. Oh, should I have not said that? You might get in the first time. You might get in the, it's really tough. You really, you have to write like a motherfucker. You, it's really tough. But, rewrite, yeah. You have to rewrite and rewrite and try and try. But I tell you what, it's worth it, and you, if you, if you, may, you may get in the first time, but if you don't, you keep coming back and you get in and you commit yourself to the process because it's, it's quite frankly that fantastic. Uh, okay, Libby wants me to get off the mic, so I'm gonna. We'll, we'll come back to you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Samantha. Okay, we, I'm gonna talk about what is an author evening, which um, we mentioned a bit. Um, an author evening is exactly what it sounds like. The EVs will sit down with an author, agent, publisher, and editor at the Penn offices or at their home from 7 to 9 p.m. The fellows will have read the author's most recent book and be able to have a one-on-one -on -one discussion about the book and about craft and about the business of writing. Um, Michelle, the editor of, of, of The Rattling Wall, and Libby also conduct a submissions workshop. So I'm just going to list off the, the author evenings for this year. And they include my mentor, Cecil Castellucci. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
sorry. Um, Heather Simon, David Eulin, Jonah Strauss, Ron Carlson, Janet Fitch, David Francis, Samantha Dunn, Dan Smetanka, Jerry Stahl, Percival Everett, Charles Yu, Douglas Kearney, Maggie Nelson, James Reagan, Dinah Lenny, Betsy Amster, Bruce Bauman, Harriet Mullen, Jeremy Radin, Bernard Cooper, and Amy Bender, plus the submission workshop. So we wanted to have a current EV because that, those are all the people they saw this year. They, they shift sometimes, but we keep uh, people definitely do come back. So Hannah, you were going to speak a little bit about, you know, maybe a memorable author evening this year or what it's like to go to one. Uh, Sam sort of touched on it. Can you hand over the mic? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, hi. Yeah. Don't you have to stand up? Do you want me to stand up? Yeah. Oh, they didn't last year. They sat there. It's okay. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. <laughs> hey. Um, yeah, it was the author evenings are probably um, the most incredible part of this for me. As, um, Sam's was incredible. Um, I mean, they were all really so inspiring. I, I left on Monday evenings. I would We'd finish around 9 and I'd get home and actually a lot of the writing that I did in these 8 months was those Monday nights because I was so so inspired. I'd drive home like shaking with inspiration and um, I mean I, I can't pick anybody out other than Sam and Cecil <laughs> but um, no they were all honestly everybody. I, I think one of the things that was most um, insightful to me about those. I mean, that list is just incredible, and and I think it was it was realizing that everybody came to it from a different angle, and that there wasn't a right way. You know, when I was sitting, this is where I heard about Penn last year. This is where I was sitting here, and and I thought, you know, there's there's a way, and I have to figure out what that way is. And every week, hearing people talk about their way, it was like, oh, I can find my way. And I have an, a book that I haven't even looked at that is full. I've, it's a completely full notebook of all the notes that I took on those Monday nights, and I'm so excited for to have time <laughs> to read, to read, to go through them and read all the bits of, of incredible insight, you know. I mean, just... I, I, I don't know where to begin. I think, I think that's really the main thing. It's just, just, yeah. Sounds all true. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to, we still have a few more components, and then if you're having questions come in your mind, hold them in your mind. Um, the next thing, actually, Natasha touched on this. We have a wonderful, wonderful person in this room. His name's Dave Thomas. He's in the back. He's going to raise his hand right now. We're going to embarrass him. <laughs> Dave Thomas donates a, a public speaking class to us. And it that sounds pretty simple, but it's actually quite um, a wonderful day. So it's a full, full workshop where you come in in the morning. You have a piece that you have ready to read at your second reading. So this is something that I'll have at time we have seven minutes so you come in with that seven minute piece and Dave walks you through just the exercises of how to begin practicing for a reading what it means to read in front of people he also is a wonderful professional voiceover artist so he has a recording booth in his house as Natasha was saying Home Depot Nike Lexus Gatorade whatever you got it and um, and he'll put you through that um, in that booth and you'll and you will do that piece 
you will get to hear yourself back. It is really a lesson in many things. Um, and then he corrects that. You know, he tells you about hills and valleys. He tells you about a lot of things that writers never get to hear um, because you know they're too busy probably being terrified. Um, so, so it, it really is a lesson in that. That gets emailed to you when you go back in and do it sort of the right way, and then you have that. So when you go into that second reading at Hotel Cafe Tongue and Groove, which we'll talk about that reading, you're ready to go. Um, and actually, you're ready to go. You're ready to read. Probably, I want to. I'm going to say I took my class with him in 2008. I've been ready to read like since that time. I mean, if I prepare and do everything that he says. Um, so, to, who wants to talk about? I know Natasha, you touched on the the voice class. Could you talk about how that maybe inspired you to take uh, in, in your reading series and just how else you've carried that through? Um, I think when I'm selecting readers, especially for Dirty Laundry Lit, and, or if I've gone to readings, mm -hmm. you can tell people who have practiced reading somewhere and those who kind of practice with a turtle or something. I mean, <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a big difference and it makes a difference to the audience. You know, people talk about poet voice and things like that, which is fine if that's the style, but there are, there are ways to improve, right? <laughs> you know, a reading, um, like, I, like I talked about earlier, it's about selling a product. I mean, your product is your writing, that thing that you've been working on for years and then you get up there and, you know, it's either a quick read or it's an irritating read, you know, or so, you don't want to blow it. If, if this is your one shot to meet new people or bring new people to your work and then you blow it that way by going either too long or you decide to put on a really thick accent <laughs> or you start walking around. I mean there's a lot of things that can go wrong in a reading but it makes a difference. <laughs> it makes a difference to me because if we have 200 people at at a dirty laundry lit reading and you know and it's it's like a party atmosphere and you have seven minutes and people go on for like 14 minutes or it's just not a a tight reading, it affects everybody. It affects the audience because they have to sit there, they have, they have to work to listen to you or to, to pay attention, and it affects all the readers behind you that have to come up after that and try to get people inspired again. Mm -hmm. So it makes, it makes a huge difference, I think, in selling the product that is your work. Mm -hmm. Great, great. Dave, you want to add anything back there? To <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, no pressure. <laughs> I just want you to hear his voice, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the reason that I, I think that writers and poets can give good voice to some of is advertisers use a tremendous amount of trace to pull you all in that they care about you and they love you. And, uh, and they're just after the money and popular. And they don't care whether you live or die. Uh, so when I, you hear me, I'm blind. actually have Well, we're we're grateful that you do. <laughs> So our uh, next component we're going to talk about is uh, the UC UCLA um, Extension Writers Program. And participants will attend two free UCLA um, courses um, at the Extension donated by the Writers Program. And Libby, the manager, will <laughs> assist the Emerging Voices Fellows with course selection. And i love to have someone talk about the uh, Writers Program, one of our fellows. 
Becky. Or oh, Sam, too. Yes, and then mm -hmm. the Sam. All right, um, so I had taken some UCLA extension classes before being an EV and really just workshopping your piece with other writers, putting it out there, um, finding out what works, what lands, what doesn't, um, also separating yourself from your work enough to put it out there, take some criticism, and then come back for more after you've gone home and kind of curled up in a ball and said it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, and then done your rewrites. Um, it's just all so important because so much of writing is rewriting and it's really hard to know what to rewrite until you start talking to other people until you start showing them your shit rough drafts <laughs> um, and the UCLA extension classes are great um, the kind of master class you take through the pen program is just another level on top of that especially since you're there with your other EV fellows and you're all just really dedicated to making your work the best it can it can be it's really invigorating to have a bunch of people read your work and be invested in making it better and you're not going to really get that alone in your room not sharing it with anybody Sam do you want to talk about yeah I just mm -hmm. wanted to add one more thing Related to that, uh, related to the um, UCLA courses, of course, this is an inside job. I've taught there for a very long time. But um, I, how many of you have actually taken classes through the UCLA extension or at least seen the massive catalog, right? There's this huge catalog, yeah. There's this, like, it lands like a brick um, if you see the physical thing. Uh, and sometimes that can be overwhelming. The fact that you get as a, an EV to take these courses for free and you also get Libby, they're helping you navigate which course would maybe supplement you in the best way. That can be an incredible thing. Maybe maybe someone's poetry class can, can help um, a creative nonfiction. So, anyway, you're getting guidance there uh, to think about classes in a way that maybe you hadn't before. That's valuable. Absolutely, and I wanted to say that I think everyone that teaches there, are at, you're, you're certainly uh, getting a teacher at a certain level, you know, um, and I, I've had a great experiences there. I know the fellows that pass through, it, and it's a 10 to 12 weeks, so you go through that, and the next thing we're going to talk about is the Penn Masterclass. So this is something we organize for you. So you finish with that, that's at the start of the fellowship, and then you go into the Masterclass. That's only four sessions, and it's genre related. So if you're a poet, you will go with the poets, fiction and nonfiction workshop together. Uh, we acquire a teacher for you. In the past, we've had Diana Wagman, Ellen Slezak, Paul Mandelbaum, and Mona Simpson. And so that is uh, your teacher. And so you meet, this is the first time you meet with your fellows. So you're workshopping together unless you've done it outside of the fellowship, uh, which we, we encourage. I know this group this year started in that master class and have stayed together and are still workshopping their stuff together. So that's a tremendous, great thing. Um, it's four sessions because it's really concentrated and intense. Um, and also you have so many other things going on. I always describe the fellowship as a layered cake. So you can see all these things that we're naming. They definitely pile onto each other in a really hopefully wonderful way for you. And sometimes in a very you know stressful way for you. But it also promotes a lot of, um, as Victor and a lot of people said in their essays, a lot of good work. Um, so the next thing we'll, we'll talk about are public readings. Um, there are three public readings that you are required to do in the fellowship. The first one is at the welcoming party. So it's about 
a group this size. We've done it in a pen member's home. Sometimes we, we did it at standard last year. It's a welcoming party. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a welcoming party to say, yay, you're in the fellowship. And we require five minutes. So you pick five minutes of what you think is your best work. This is pre-Dave Thomas, so there's low pressure on, uh, and it's also friends and family um, and pen members. Um, and then the next one is at Tongue and Groove. How many of you guys know Tongue and Groove, the monthly salon at Hotel Cafe? Yeah, so that's that's Conrad Romo's project, and uh, he very very is ni he's very very nice to us and lets us come once a year. And so that's mid program. So that's uh, in the spring. And then the next one, which is the one you're all going to go to at the Hammer, which is the final reading. And that is definitely what I like to always think of as sort of like the graduation party. You know, so it's a much longer piece. It's ten minutes. Um, it's well prepared. It's hosted by someone fabulous. Last year, Sam hosted it. Uh -huh. This year. Uh, Ron Carlson will host it. Um, and it's definitely a, a warm, great crowd. It's a lot of people. It's about 200 people and up. It can be up to 300 people. So it does. we want it to feel like a big deal. It's great because it's the breath of the fellowship. It's like you can see someone from the welcoming party from that first you know, five minutes, maybe a little more nervous, um, to a project that's gone all the way through mentorship, all the way through visiting writers and all that kind of great stuff and all these classes, to a really polished, wonderful piece at the end. And there's free cheese and you know wine and all kinds of <laughs> lovely stuff uh, in the Hammer Atrium uh, to entice you. Uh, so those are the three readings. Um, I think that you know you definitely wouldn't want to get out of a. We're providing you professional tools. It's absolutely a professional tool to know how to present your work. Um, so that is those are those three. We're going to end. We're not going to talk about volunteer project, but we will do some of that in the Q and A because I want to get to your questions and I want you to have these lovely homemade cocktails and, and intermingle because this, this room is filled with community. This room is filled with alumni, uh, author evening uh, hosts, and mentors, and I definitely want you guys to interact with each other and have time to talk to Lillian and myself. Um, one thing we get asked a lot, what do you mean lack of access? What does that mean? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, so. The fellowship started and was created for, for writers that were un, in underrepresented communities. So what that meant was they were isolated from the greater literary establishment. So we still seek writers that are lacking access. So that means you can't have a master's, you can't have any higher degree in creative writing. You don't need us. I mean, thank, good, good for you, fabulous. Um, you know when you have an, this kind of need. I think sometimes it's difficult to articulate it. Um, I'm going to have a few people talk about what that means and how they articulated it. Um, uh, I'll give you a few examples off the cuff. I had a woman uh, who was living in Arizona. I don't think she had ever met a real writer. She was 60 years old. Um, she was definitely working on this kind of amazing thriller novel just in her room. Uh, she was a visual artist as well. Um, but it was she was ready to shift into this and be very, very serious about finishing this novel. She she applied and she was like, I'm gonna this is I'm gonna try and see what happens here. Um, and she came into this community. I mean, if she came back, if she moved back, but if she comes back into this community, she um, definitely then acquired an agent. I'm not saying this happens to everyone, but it will, it can. Uh, and it definitely uh, opened things up for her. She definitely polished that novel. Um, there are definitely people that are, it's, it's financial need, and that's just what it is. Um, we, we asked for a tax return, so you can show us what that means. Um, but we also want you to articulate it. Um, it's important that you 
define that for us. Um, so Lillian's going to give you sort of a brief history of the fellowship uh, to kind of say what did what did, you know what those underrepresented who were those people you know how did that define the fellowship. So the Emerging uh, Voices Fellowship originated as a mentorship project. The mentorship project grew out of Penn Center USA's forum, Writing the Immigrant Experience, held at the Los Angeles Central Library in March 1994. The forum explored the issues and challenges faced by first and second generation immigrant writers. It was evident from the forum that many of the culturally diverse communities of writers in Southern California are often isolated from the literary establishments. In the fall of 1995, Penn Center USA initiated Initiated emerging voices as a literary membership, sorry, literary mentorship fellowship designed to launch professional writers from minority, immigrant, and other underrepresented communities. The fellowship, now in its 19th year, has evolved into an eight-month writing fellowship for writers who lack access to a traditional writing education and seek financial and creative support. Okay, great. And who wants to volunteer? I don't want to pick on anybody in particular, but who wants to? really articulate what they filled in in that section on their Q&A, you know, in, that, in their application. How did you clarify that you lacked access for the program? Don't all go at once. Okay. <laughs> Hannah, yeah, great. She's the spokesperson for right. the 2014. <laughs> um, so I am um, a waitress, and I'm not independently wealthy, otherwise I probably wouldn't be a waitress. Um, I, so I didn't have, I don't have, I can't afford to, to get an MFA. Um, I also knew one writer. I didn't, I used to be an actress, so I knew a lot of actors and directors and producers. I knew no writers. So I didn't know how to get into it. I didn't know, I didn't even really know what, like, readings were. I'd never, you know, I didn't have, I'd never been a part of a writing community anywhere, and I didn't know what it was. So that, it, it was, mine was kind of, Financial and um, and also just just lacking lacking access, you know, socially in terms of a community. Um, I think that was it. Great. Yeah. Anyone on the panel want to speak to this as well? Amanda. Um, as as Lilium said in my bio, I'm a personal trainer. So there's not a lot of literary discussions going on <laughs> in my life, you know, on a daily basis. Um, I'm also an immigrant. I'm from Canada. Um, yes, Sasha. Uh -huh. They have books in Canada, yes, yes, yes. Um, so, but for me, you know, I came to the States in 1999 and I was basically like a... I, I was an illegal, basically. Not basically, I was an illegal. <laughs> I defrauded the government to stay here. So basically there was just no, like I couldn't go to school. Like, you know, I couldn't, I was, I couldn't go to school. So, um, and, and, and the same, like you were saying, like I just, I didn't really know who to talk to. There was, there's no one in my social circle that's like, we're really having discussions about literature. And um, yeah, so that's it. Victor, do you want to talk about it? Yeah, sure. Um, I actually have a background in theater, um, and I did do some writing in uh, the university level, but had no real access or no knowledge of how to apply it to a real-world setting. Um, and so after that, I, you know, after graduating from my undergrad, I went to work uh, for a theater company in downtown LA, 
And I uh, felt so far away from anybody in the literary world. I didn't even know if it existed in Los Angeles or even how to even knock on a door and see who's on that other side. Um, and that's really what I wrote about. I wrote about a lacking access to a community and not really knowing where to start looking. Um, and I have to say, now being on the other side of that conversation, I feel like the, I know that the Los Angeles literary community is vibrant and it's flourishing and it's so exciting. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about um, community uh, because essentially we, we keep saying alumni, alumni, but that makes up a great amount of people and it's not just the alumni themselves, it's everyone that mentors uh, that person who's going through that year. It's all the author evenings, it's all the people that show up in a room like this. So um, I guess I'd want, I want someone to talk about sort of the before and after experience, which I know Victor you just kind of touched on, but maybe Jamie you can talk about about sort of what that means to go from that sort of isolation that you were talking about a little bit in your essay to to being surrounded. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, two things. I, I was thinking. Um, I forgot someone here was talking about. Uh, oh, having time. I think it was you, huh? I felt like the fellowship is eight months, but I also feel like it's a whole nother year at least after that to absorb this whirlwind of information and emotions and. Um, just to digest it. It's just all coming in so quickly. Mm -hmm. So it's really, in a way, we could call it a two-year fellowship in a lot of ways, I feel. And um, for me, <laughs> I think that just knowing that Okay, so like as a writer, I don't really go out a lot, and you know, I'm not a big party animal, and you know, that kind of stay at home. So, but the social networking, and you can always count on somebody to. Say, hey, what's going on with you? How's your, you know, and, and even if you try to sort of maybe not connect with some of your fellows <laughs> and the alumni or Libby, she'll call you <laughs> and say, well, what are you doing on July 20th, for example? <laughs> no, it's, it's actually a really cool thing. Or you'll see someone and you'll go to something. It's like, I don't, I don't, I always... I always don't want to go to a reading. I really, really don't want to go. And then I'm always so glad that I went. And especially pen readings, which have an amazing... So if... Once you apply and once you just go to the pen readings because they're curated so well. I've been to a lot of readings and, and also Dirty Laundry. They're, they're curated with an audience in mind. And I don't think that's always the case with um, literary readings. So you'll feel you'll feel connected, you'll see someone that you know there if you've been in the fellowship, and, um, and it's inspiring. And, and for me, I want to come home and write, you know, so, so today I'm going to go home and write. Can Great. I say something? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, go ahead, please. Go ahead. No, I was, I just, <laughs> you are inspiring me, Jamie. Because I read, so, I saw something on Facebook the other day. It was a quote, and it said that, that writers are sort of, we have two overriding needs, and one is to be heard, and the other is to hide. <laughs> and it, so no matter, no matter how, no matter how, you know, they have these things about introvert and extrovert, but all writers want to hide. But it's about making that time that you're out count. If you're not at your desk, writing or doing something or hiding when you're out there you want it to count in this program it counts whether you, if you go to an event pin make sure that every, that the audience members this time means something to you like even now when you stay here you can either just go out the door when you leave or you can start meeting people that are here you can make it count if you're gonna be out let's make it count there you go.
And then I was just going to say one final thing really quickly, and I was going to say from beginning to end also something that um, a little insight into our little group. Um, when we all met for the first time at our orientation in January, we all, uh, when Libby and Lilium stepped out of the room and there was a box of pizza half eaten on the table, we all looked at each other and we said, are we all like faking them out? <laughs> like, why are we here? Like, and, and so really it was a lot of doubt in that room. And I, I would say that slowly as we, as we uh, progressed month by month, we've been working against that doubt. And I think if I can speak for the group and saying that all writers have doubt and you will continue to have that for the rest of your life maybe, <laughs> but it's about learning how to work against it and having the proper tools to also address it. In, in a life, right? In a life busy with other things like parking tickets and student loans and your nonprofit job, me. Um, so it's, it's, it's really how you can learn how to manage a life not only within your other career, be it your lawyer or working as a server or et cetera, but also that you're tracking down this uh, career as a writer as well. Sam. I, I just want to say something um, about the idea of career too, and frankly, uh, you're you're entering a great networking um, uh, habitat here. Uh, this 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 uh, this pool that we draw from. Um, Amanda, for instance, mentioned that she'd been published in the Orange County Register. She was published in the Orange County Register because she's badass, and I knew it because she'd been a Penn Fellow, and I was in a position to hire, uh, to do, to, to hire freelancers. And I'm often in that position, and I'm often in a position to um, recommend other writers, recommend people for fellowships. EVs are the first people, always, that I recommend because I know their training and I know where they're from. Great. Show up on time. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. We'll get to time at orientation. You'll you'll know what that means. You'll know why they're laughing. Um, so I really want to get to your questions. Um, I just I do want to touch on this because we're on the edge of like talking about community. You are required 25 hours uh, to create a volunteer project. You can slip into something called, you know, like like a Right Girl or 826LA or great organizations like that. I think we mentioned some of them tonight. Um, you can certainly probably volunteer for Dirty Laundry Lit. Okay, <laughs> um, and you can also volunteer to do outreach for the fellowship that you're actually in at the time, which we have two fellows that are doing that this year. Um, we encourage you guys to go into communities where you're needed. Uh, you're encouraged to go someplace where people could be writing um, about, you know, trauma or, um, you know, just uh, children that are, you know, in a, in a place where that would make a huge difference. Um, if you, there are bookmarks at the front, and we definitely have a, a program called Pen in the Community, and it really sort of branches into that. Um, and I encourage you to look at that. But it's definitely something to where you're full up. We've given you this sort of great experience, so we hope we've had all these wonderful people contribute as a community to you. Then you go out in the world, and then you create something that that uh, is going to give back. So I don't know if it's, someone wants to say something briefly about volunteer projects or what they did this year. Um, Brandon? Yeah. Hey. Um, so I am in social work also. That's kind of my background. And so um, for my volunteer project, I think the idea uh, that if we believe writing matters, if we believe it makes a difference in the lives of others, um, I wanted to figure out a way to connect uh, like both worlds that I was kind of balancing between. So I work in like community development, transitional housing, and then I'm in this fellowship 
And so we work specifically with parents uh, and their children trying to get back into permanent housing. So uh, I actually took from the first uh, UCLA class, I was re recommended a book by the professor there. And I took that book and created a curriculum with one of the dads in the program where I work. And we did like a one-on-one -on -one, uh, poetry class every week. Um, and we have this cool thing where now Penn will even things for your students or if you have a project they have in mind so we're putting together a broadside as a surprise for my student and I'm gonna give that to him as a gift and um, it's just I think it's a really cool way if you are you know so many writers are balancing hey <laughs> so many writers are balancing like these two kind of lives and it, it was like a really amazing way to feel a little bit of intentional integration to put those two things together, especially because those are two things that I both care about really deeply. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty awesome. And for that, for that gentleman, this will be probably the first thing he's ever seen of his in print. For sure, yeah. Yeah, for so sure. I think that's going to be a really wonderful yeah. moment. Um, yeah, good job, Brandon. So we want to turn this over to you guys. Um, I want you to shout because I don't think our microphone will reach out that far. Um, but I want to hear from you. You can ask any kind of question. You can certainly direct it towards any of our wonderful panelists. Um, so it's your turn. Any questions? Yes, ma'am. Um, I pair you with a mentor. <laughs> I'm your fairy godmother, or not. Uh, um, I, I take some time in looking, obviously, at your sample. I, that time we've met, um, you certainly have a place on the application to write the three writers that we really admire. I, little secret there, I really look at that. I look at where you think you're going. I look at where I think someone could take you. Um, I don't think that you can choose your own mentor, at least in this situation. I think you can in life and other ways, but for this, I think it's been sort of t you know, tested that this sort of works for that. But, um, and certainly if there was a huge desire, you could say, but it definitely no guarantees there at all. But yeah, good question. You also know the mentors. Yeah, and I, kn I know a few writers, so it helps. Yeah. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay. So she wants to know um, what the selection process is and how we narrow it down. Is that right? Okay. Um, so we form a committee um, who will remain anonymous, uh, but they are representing every uh, genre. So I have a poet, uh, a nonfiction writer, and a fiction writer, um, and then we have Penn staff that sit on the committee. I am one of those people, um, and Lilium is one of those people. Um, and then we decide by um, Reading, reading through the applications and doing cuts on the applications. So there are, are a few cuts um, to those until we get down to some finalists. And it's usually about 10 to 15 people. It fluctuates every year. You're brought in for a very intimidating interview with like eight people sitting around a table. <laughs> uh, but you know, you can ask them, these guys about it. Um, and, and essentially um, after that interview, we choose very, very quickly. And that happens, if you want to know when that happens, that happens generally in October. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Mm. 
So how do you balance your full-time job with this fellowship? Great question. Could I just answer that really quickly yes. just because I have a, I think of maybe different. I, um, I used to work full-time and when I got the fellowship I quit but I have two kids and one of them was under two years old um, and it was still a lot of work and I freelanced a lot because I still had to pay bills. But you know I knew that the eight month was going to be intense and I wanted to dedicate as much as I could to it but there are others who cannot afford to quit a full-time job and it'll be great to hear what your mm -hmm. feedback is about that. Yeah. Um, well I have two kids too. My son is is disabled um, so and I also am an attorney full-time. So for me when I approached it I, I thought you know if I can do this for eight months I can live the writer's life because I can't imagine a time where I could ever quit my job until I sell that book and even when you sell that book it's not like a windfall of money you still have to work. So I don't really imagine a time so for me this was like the workout. This was the exercise to see can I do this thing so I found myself like writing it you know while I was waiting for my children to get out or reading while I'm you know you find time mm -hmm. to really cram it in there but nobody really has the solution of this is gonna make your writing life easy I don't think there's an easy way to do that so it's always a balancing act any current fellows want to answer that just coming through the other side yeah, I, I have a full-time job too and same thing I can't afford to quit um, my girlfriend was joking on the way over here that she's actually going to start a fellowship support group for <laughs> significant others of fellows because there are many nights like cr coming over after an author evening and crying on her bed like I'm so tired. Um, but honestly, yeah, it's there's not like a snake oil that you can buy. You just you make it work. Um, I went to work, I left work, I drove to the offices or to an author evening or uh, yeah you just you if, if you're serious about it you, you honestly have to make the decision before you apply. Um, is this something that I that I want that is right for me that I have to have and then you just you make it work you you do the driving you stay up late and write you read the book on the weekends and you rinse and repeat and then eight months later you are famous. Just kidding. <laughs> I just want to say really quickly, it's also an amazing way to eliminate the superfluous from your life that you didn't realize was superfluous. I mean, I there's so much stuff that I've just stopped doing and I'm not going to pick up again because it's like, that's time that I didn't realize I had to write and now I know that that's time I have to write and read. And So it's that experience, it's hard, but it's also really helpful in the long term. It helped me quit exercising. It was really important to me. So. Yeah, and I, I just want to add, I think like that exhaustion that you feel, that kind of like sacrifice you make for not, you when you start the fellowship, you just let your friends know you're not going to see them for a while. Like they can send you postcards, that's fine, you might reply. Um, but that sacrifice you make, that exhaustion you feel is what lets you know that you're a writer and that this means something to you mm -hmm. and that you're willing to do that. And once you, you realize you're willing to do that, it nothing can really stop you after that. Great. That helped. Good. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Good, really good question. Um, so I'm I'm gonna save the polish thing for the second part of this. Um, so she's she's got some poetry she could submit and some creative nonfiction. I want to look at the thing you're most serious about. I know that's gonna maybe be difficult, but I I, I want to look at when I go to your project proposal on your application. I want to know that you've got that kind of defined. I want to know that this is a book about this woman driving cross country trying to do this. I mean, you don't have to have the end at all, but you have to know that this is something I want to work on. You can even say, I don't really know, you know, how it ends or what have you, but I want to dedicate the next eight months to it. I certainly want a mentor that's paired for me that is in that genre that's going to offer the best uh, advice and give the best time and all that. Because we, we want you to commit to it as well, but we are also going to commit to it around you. So if you feel like you're like, okay, I've got like, you know, 20, 30 poems, or I feel like that's the thing. That, that I definitely want to be able to complete that project at a certain time and this is something that I feel passionate about and this is going to carry me through the eight months and I can propose this as a project that should hopefully help you to find that. Is that good? And as far as polished, I mean, this is also a really good question to ask. You want to send that out to several people. You want a writing teacher, if you have one, to look at it. You want, you know, people that are your writing friends to look at it. Um, certainly, you want it copy edited really, really well. You want to follow what Times New Roman and all that stuff. That stuff really matters. Times New Roman, 12 point, all that kind of stuff. But just make it as like you're going to submit it to a journal, um, just as clean and as ready to go on that. Does anybody want to talk about samples at all or any advice that's perking up? Do you mind? Okay. No. Really polished. Make it as good as you can because I think that at least, I, I don't know, I mean Libby and I haven't had this conversation, but my feeling is when you put yourself out there in, in what you do, which is writing, whatever it is, if it's poetry or creative nonfiction or fiction, you're saying this is this is this is what I do, and the project, the pen, the pen staff is going to pour an enormous amount of energy into you, into us, and and you want them to not be able to say no to you, everything that you do in your application. So so the writing sample, I it's a writing. Literary, it's a fellowship for writing. It's got to be the most important thing, right? It's in, I'm just saying, I, again, I haven't spoken with Louis, but that's how I think about it. So make it as amazing as you can, and then fill out all those other questions, eight questions? Roughly, um, yeah. Eight, nine, 10, 12. Yeah. Anyway, make those really tight too. Don't go over, is it 500 words? Don't, don't go 500 over. 500 words for each don't, question. Every, yeah, yeah every, <laughs> Word counts them for you. Don't go over. Listen don't to don't all the rules. listen to all the rules. Don't give them yes. a reason to say no. Yes. And and that's just probably for anything that you ever apply for in the literary world. Maybe in life. Yeah. Just yes. Thank you, Jamie. Yes. Well, wait. I did. I didn't say that. Yeah. Listen to me. <laughs> you may you may acquire the fellowship the first time you apply. You did. You did. Yeah. You did. Both of you. So if you, but in terms of say you didn't. Okay. In terms of trying to strengthen the application, mm -hmm. say it's not practical for you to feedback on the numerous applications you've mm -hmm. So what would you recommend in terms of trying to improve what you already 
Okay, good question. So this is about resubmitting and reevaluating your application. So if you're resubmitting, we want to see something new. Um, it's just like submitting to a journal. Um, I've seen that. Um, that didn't, you know. Now, if this is hugely different in revision, like uh, I want to say borderline unrecognizable or, or just so darn good that every writing teacher, everybody you sent to went, wow, this is, I mean, you've done a tremendous amount of work. I have looked at samples where I knew it was the same piece, but I knew the revision was really, really strong. This encourages me. You know what I mean? This this makes me think this writer's working really, really hard. Um, if you've moved on to something else, certainly you can propose a new project, have a new uh, sample in there. Um, your lack of access may have not changed, but definitely redefine that. Maybe you can make that sharper. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, I think all the other stuff is, you know, just sort of updating, did you acquire any other, you know, fellowships or what have you in the time that's passed. But um, I would say the sample would be definitely the thing to lean on the most. Does that answer your question? Okay, someone in the back? Yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. They do. They're, unless they've changed, they're usually like 7 to 10. Um, and what happens with the UCLA extension, we'll give you the catalog, and we want you to go for the best one. When, when Lillian said the, you know, the manager will help you choose, certainly if I feel like you're taking something real off the map, and this is being donated to us, and you're going to spend 10, 12 weeks, and it's not really going to be paired with your project, and we're going to go off in a zone, I'm going to po probably pull you back. Um, but that, therefore, you, get, you would get to look and say, oh, Libby, Wednesday nights work best. I, I have time off my kids or you know I have I can do that then so you can sort of veer that towards a night that would work best for you but the general they generally are at night yes sir uh, that's a good question. Uh, update them. So say that writer uh, still really encouraging you to apply, uh, maybe put that in their letter. Maybe they can just, you can send that letter back and say, please add a line, redate this, re-sign this. We have them sealed and signed on the back now. So that's going to have to happen anyway. Uh, so you certainly can't like reuse one, but maybe you can have that writer or whoever's recommending you say, you know, this is a second try here and I'm still really encouraging this person. They just have to be fresh. Someone else was over. Yeah, yes. Okay. So this is a question about arriving somewhere in the fellowship. You have a project proposed. Um, that's a good question. Um, so we're, we're trying to give you the tools you need for a professional writing career. We're definitely not trying to say you're going to publish this in eight months. We're definitely not saying the end, done. Um, it's, it's unrealistic, and we're loading you with too much information for that to probably happen. Um, it, you know, you're going to be a sponge, so you're going to absorb all that stuff. Hopefully, everything's going to feed that project. Uh, we don't, we don't 
don't want, we're not going for completion. We want you to continue on and definitely complete and publish and have wonderful things happen in your writing life. Uh, but no, we don't put pressure on that. And you, when you sit down with your mentor for the first time, I always ask you guys to come with like 10 or five goals that you want to do in the eight months. And those can be write chapter two and three. Um, and then we check back in in a few months. How's two and three doing? You know what I mean? So you can manage that. And, you, and actually, I encourage the fellows to manage their goals throughout the eight months. There is another person here. This woman here? Yes. Mm -hmm. And also, how we have to be? Okay. Yeah. Um, there's certainly not a number on either side of that, so there's not the, the low number or the high number. Uh, I'm sorry, the question was about um, financial need and about what, what that document is that you put into your application uh, to, to, to show that. So this is your last uh, tax earning year, so it will give me an idea of what your yearly earnings are. So that's all that, all that sheet is. Um, that's for, we're matching information with what you're saying. So if you're saying in your, I lack access in this way, and you're going for the fact that you lack uh, financial access, that's just proof of that. Um, and we just need those two things to line up. If they don't, then, you know, huge question marks start arriving. If you're not going for that, if you're saying, actually, you know, I can manage that, that's not, that's not my actual, you know, I have that need, but it's definitely the fact that, like, to what Jamie was saying, like, I don't really have any community like I don't actually I don't have these professional tools that are on this card um, and I would like to acquire them and I'm not going to be going to a master's program because I have three kids and two jobs or whatever um, so so it's certainly something so everything can add up I mean your, your application is a story of you um, it's definitely when I sit down and read them I don't know if Lillian feels this way but I feel like I'm visiting every person uh, because I hear all your personal you know cute question and answers I read your sample you know that's just another part of your story that we need to kind of complete that does that answer your question okay yes ma'am in the back Yeah, there's five apps because everyone's looking at everything. Okay. Yeah, so. Absolutely not. No, no, it's it's a committee designed so that that doesn't happen. Yeah. And yeah. I just wanted to add that the committee changes every year. Mm -hmm. So, I'm, you know, just to be aware that there's a whole a new selection of people who, who we ask to be um, in part, you know, part of that committee. So it changes. Mm -hmm. That's great to say. Yes. Okay. I'm going to go to her first. Yes. Can you share what you're looking for with the letters of recommendation? Are you mm -hmm. looking for somebody who knows their writing or is also Okay, so uh, two letters of recommendation. Um, I mean, the first place I would go would be to uh, someone who's seen my work and someone hopefully is a writing teacher or definitely someone who maybe you met at a conference or someone who has some sort of, you know, writing, writing world around you that you can connect with. Um, 
the other space to go to is someone has seen me complete a large project. Uh, someone sees how dedicated I am. Someone knows I, what I'm signing up for and they've looked at all these bulleted points and goes, oh yeah, she, she has this. Like she, because she, she's done this and this and this. And that's sort of the other person. Because there's a lot of people that come to us because they're, they have this need that they don't know a writer and they don't have a teacher and they don't have, and they, their mom reads their work. You know what I mean? And we don't want to hear from their mom. So, uh, so it's certainly somebody who can say, you know, she's very dedicated to a long-term project. She can complete something, um, and you know, you're this is a good bet. Um, and then the other one would be yes, um, definitely from someone in your writing community if it's possible. Is that answered? Okay, great. And we had back here again, right? You got it? Okay, great. In that regard, should the person writing the letter of recommendation be uh, speaking to their own background? Oh, you mean from? Oh, from the letter of recommendation. It's okay. I mean, um, if they if they want to include, you know, this is where I met you. Um, uh, if they, I mean, sometimes we get more than enough, like maybe an entire bio of somebody in a recommendation letter. I mean, it's good. It's context. So I do. We do need to know how you guys connected. Uh, but certainly, if they're recommending you, I feel like that's going to definitely fold into that letter in some space. Yeah. Well, certainly they're, they're going to have their stamp on it. So if they're a professor somewhere, if they're, you know, wherever they're coming from, then um, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to know or definitely follow up and look on. We, we follow up on all the recommendation letters just to make sure. Yes? Um, do we just include it in sealed within the application? Yes. No, yes. So it is in the application. Yes. Sealed. Right, yes. Right, right. So they don't yeah. No. Oh. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, we did change it. Yes. Okay. So yeah, as long as it is sealed and signed on the back. Sorry. sorry. Now I'm getting this, like uh, this is true. This is on our online. We yes. want it all included Inside. in the application. Yes. Okay. That's yes. Fine. I know last year we did wow. do it separately, but that is not yeah. the case this year. Sorry. This year we want the whole application with two recommendations yes. and the signed. Yeah. signed in the back, concealed completely, um, and everything just sent in, nothing yeah. via email. Yeah. yeah. But the reason we do that, because none of them were matched, so we went it all together. Like, if you want to know the logic behind that, they're all coming together, and then we'll just do all the copies of the letters for you. But good question. No, we'll do those. Yeah. Because we want them sealed, so yeah, exactly. Okay. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Um, I've definitely received some fairly strange things. Um, <laughs> I, I, herbs and thyme and rosemary has been one of them. Um, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but um, certainly anything that feels like uh, glitter or <laughs> like that, that is definitely something that wouldn't be, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> but besides all the sort of absolutely obvious things, um, no pictures. Um, if there's like, you know, photographs that go along. I mean, if you have a visual project, I mean, there is, if it's totally completely tied to your project, then please send in the photos or what have you with that. Sometimes that just ends up being, I mean, the answer to your question is too much information. That's really where it gets, where it's like, is it on, is it, is it defined as what you want in the application? Great. If is it going outside of that? That's red flag to me. What's red flag to me is also not following the directions. If you can't follow directions here, we're going to have a real problem in eight months. Well, we may not have a problem at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but good question. Yes. Um, I can't disclose the amount. Sorry. I, I'm, yeah, it's like the, you know, the Pentagon up here, okay? Uh, no, we leave that for our donors and funders, and it's just inside information. But a lot, a lot. Yeah, it's very competitive. Um, on that note also, don't, um, oh. you can't deliver, hand deliver the oh, application no, no. to the, our offices. Um, you definitely want to be able to mail that. You know, and you could do it overnight, FedEx, it yeah. doesn't matter. But make sure that you give yourself enough time to get that package to the yeah. deadline. The deadline is August 11th, but we won't be accepting anything um, that day if you come to our offices. No. <laughs> no, and I have had to turn people away. It's, it gets strange. It's not a postmark date. I just want to say that like out loud to everyone. It's not a postmark date. So it's not that thing where like a couple days later it can fall in. No, no, no. It has to, we have to cut it off. Mm -hmm. Yes, I w you're competing. W who goes first? Well, yeah. I want to get rid of that at but you can deliver it to the place. You can. Yes. You can. Speaking from experience. Okay. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yeah, we, we don't want to do FedEx or any signed delivery because it's a P.O. box. So if you can avoid that and just go with the postal system, just go with the postal system if you can. Uh, no, 269. Yeah. Um, yes. So you can put in a postcard yourself in the application, and we'll stamp a little received on there and send it back to you. Yeah. Adam knows a lot about mailing. He can talk to you. <laughs> he does. He does. Uh, yes. Anybody else? Okay, great, great. Thank you so much for coming and thank our fine, fine panel. I just want to say like two things. July 30th is at the final is the final reading at the Hammer. There's a poster where you're going to get your lovely drinks. Keep drinking, keep hanging out. We're also going to start a Kickstarter for Emerging Voices, and we'll. And this is like the soft sort of you're the first people to know about it right now, um, and that will be going. That will be starting on July 30th as well. So please support that. And we want to also thank. Please um, join me in thanking Skylight Books, Books for allowing yeah. us here, supporting us. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.